0: Hey everybody! Today I'm going to interview Donald Cohen, and we're going to talk about privatization. All right, Donald, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, well, my name is
1: Donald Cohen. I'm the executive director of an organization called In the Public Interest, where research and policy and strategy center I work with groups around the country on issues of public procurement and privatization, and, uh, and you know, and and good government practices. Uh, I wrote a book. Called the privatization of everything, and I think that's what we'll
0: talk about today. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for that. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So, why don't we start with uh, how you understand the word privatization?
1: Sure. Yeah, I have a pretty I have a broader view than most people than most people uh, come to and when they think about privatization. My definition is as follows, and it'll make sense as we talk. It's private control over public goods. That's how I define privatization. So, let me be, let me break it down a little bit more. So, first off, what do we mean by public goods, right? And I have a particular definition of that as well, different from what, what you might find in an economics textbook. There's a particular definition in those textbooks that, that I reject, actually. We can follow up if we want to. Um, but here's what I think are public goods. There are three things, things that we all need to get through life, to thrive, to survive, you know, uh, include clean air, education, health, you know, broadband at this point. We need access to the internet. We just, you know, you can't survive without it. So that's the first thing, you know, shelter. Those are the things that we all need. And regardless of whether we have the money to pay for them, we all need them. Second, so that's number one. Number two is they're also the things that we need everyone to have. So it's in our interest for every child to be educated, whether we have a child or not. We'll have a better country, a better democracy, a better economy and all that. During COVID, I mean, it was pretty clear to me and many people that the health of all of us depended on the health of each of us. We need everyone to be healthy, for us all to be healthy and to to survive the pandemic. So that's number two. It's in our economic, social and and practical interests. For everyone to have those things, we need that to be so. And then finally, if we agree that all means all—that we that everybody should have access to healthcare and education, all those things—then there are things that we can only accomplish if we do them together through instruments of public, you know, through democratic institutions. So that's that's what I mean by so. And then and then the question of private control over those things happens in a variety of ways. We contract out uh you know janitorial services in a college you know we're giving uh, um we sell off parking meters for 75 years in chicago that we wrote about and there's a number of you know the book goes through many examples that terms, that shows the different show the different ways that we give over uh we, we, we give some control uh to private interests and their interests are different and so that that's really important so let me let me leave it at that and then we can get into it as we it gets a little abstract, but it'll get
0: clear as we talk. Okay. No, thank you for that explanation. I have heard people make arguments in favor of privatizing public goods, and I was hoping that you could perhaps summarize the arguments that you've heard and then give your opinion on how successful those arguments are. Sure. No, I'd, li- I'd be happy to. Um, so first off, it's, you know,
1: it's simple. Cheaper, better, faster. That's what we hear all the time. Businesses are inherently more e- efficient. Um, competition and the profit motive makes them so, and provide, you know, and provides better services and, and innovations for all of us, um, and they can do it cheaper. Okay. The, then the faster is, you know, they don't use that as much, but that's part of it. We can get it done quick. So let me go through a couple of those arguments. So first off, pre- around, mostly around the ar- idea of efficiency Okay, so. Efficiency is is basically getting more and do, do you know spending less or doing less and getting more, right? Putting less effort in and figuring out a new way to get to the you know use you know GPS and figure out a new way to get to the to the grocery store. It's more efficient that you know all, we we're all looking for ways to be more efficient in our lives. But if you think about something that's been privatized or contracted out, you know for a public service, the first thing you have to say is well. A private company has legitimate business expenses, often, you know, if it's a big company, a corp- you know, publicly traded company, very high executive compensation for their top leaders. They have, uh, you know, dividends and profit, dividends to shareholders and profits. They spend money on politics. They spend money on debt service because they're buying up other companies so they're relying on debt. So these are all expenses that are leaving the system, right? That are not going to be used. So i I should give it a specific example to make it. Iowa privatized their Medicaid. And this was the argument they used. And they gave it to some large national, you know, uh, healthcare companies. So that that first off, that money, the money for those private companies, all legitimate business expenses, left the system. And they claimed that this would be, you know, that they would be able to save money because they're more efficient. Well, so if they're going to take away this money, they're going to be more efficient, it means they're going to spend less on something. And what we then say, we ask one very simple question, okay, you're going to spend less on something, what are you going to spend less on? Because it may not be in our interests. And it's a pretty finite list of things. I mean, it could be that we do something smarter. Okay, cool, that's smart efficiency. But it also could be we're going to spend less on something that we want. In the healthcare example, there was really only one thing they could spend less on, healthcare, which is exactly what happened. People got less health care. they got denied, the, you know, their insurance claims got denied more frequently and more bureaucratically. They had, you know, they lost a- a- access to information. So, you know, that's, you know, so that's, you know, they're going to spend less on something. So let's talk about efficiency. And in, in a, by asking the harder question, by asking that next level question, private prison, that's, there's so few things that you could spend less money on. You can have fewer workers, fewer corrections officers, and they do. There was a um a juvenile detention facility in Mississippi, I believe it was, that had a 60 to 1 ratio of corrections offered to kids in, in the detention center. I mean, bad things happen ultimately they had to close the detention center. So that they could have less folks or less nurses or you know or fewer people cleaning a building. They could pay them less. They always do that. Okay. And we that, you know, and that increases economic inequality, one of our large you know one of the things that we have to grapple with as a society and economy where they could use equipment or supplies that aren't as good. Uh, you know there was a prison that outsourced their food services in a couple of states Michigan I, uh, maybe Ohio and um, Ohio just a number of years ago and they you know they found maggots in the food. They just had lower quality, you know, they spent less on the quality of food and, and and had higher fat content, you know, like less healthy food as well. So that's the core argument we get. We'll do it cheaper. And we say, okay, tell us how, because that may be
0: something that we don't want you to do. I think those are good examples. And I think you make an, um, an interesting point here. So that it doesn't sound like in principle, you're against privatization. It just sounds that it sounds like what you're saying is that if you look at the, look at the data, it's not always in the public interest to privatize your services.
1: Yeah. And so that, so we're talking about contracting. I mean, governments contract for lots of things that have been forever. Right? So, I mean, when you say privatization, it's really, I'm against giving over private control, control to our stuff, but I'm not against using the private sector to do some stuff. Right. The issue is control if we're going to so contracting could be done poorly or it can be done well the first thing to remember i mean and we know this like clearly you don't anticipate all the possible things that could go wrong who would have anticipated a pandemic right the contracts are legal documents very rigid um you uh you know they they um underbid for the contract and they come back later and say oops you know do you want us to finish do you want us to stop or do you want to give us more money that happens all the time right so so that that happens as well and then the biggest problem with contracting is oversight we all know if you don't watch bad things happen like if you did hire someone to paint your house you don't watch you know it's not necessarily corruption or incompetence it's just you got to keep you got to keep tabs on things that's that's called management and, um, so you have to have all those things in place. You have to have standards for the contracts, right? So we don't turn a good job into a bad, into a job that doesn't pay livable wages and provide health care. You gotta make sure that the deliverables, the services are, um, you know, are adequate and can be, you know, and there can be audits and all that. You've got to make sure that there's transparency, that we can find out what's going on with the contract. Because often when something goes from public to private, it goes from light to dark. The private company said, "That's none of your business. That's a trade secret, or that's you know that's confidential information." And we believe we should, if it's public, we should know everything. We can know everything: how much people make, who's working there, all that. And we should be able to. We should be able to know the same things. So just get sort of, and then we should absolutely make sure there's adequate staffing for oversight. So you can do group contracting, but often if when it's driven by we can do it cheaper it off it that's where the problem starts because it's not cheaper it's in fact it could be it's more expensive if you do it really right um and it's more bureaucratic because you've got another layer right you've got managers in the city you know who are overseeing a contract right so it's, you know you've actually added a level of bureaucracy to this so you've got to have really competent governments to do good contracting and they and there are there's lots of contracts
0: for all sorts of things. Okay. So I guess this is more of a basic question there. You're making a distinction between contracting and having private control over a public good. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. Let me, let me give you an example to say what I mean there. So, Cause that's, it's an abstraction. That, so uh, the best example I use in the, it, it was in the book of course was, um, Chicago and this gets at the and this also gets at control and democratic control which I know you want to talk about as well so in 2008 we had a terrible recession cities were all bleeding red ink and had hard choices to make so uh, you know there was a proposal was announced on a friday by the mayor at the time mayor daly the proposal was from a consortium of morgan stanley a wall street investment firm a what's called a sovereign wealth uh, in firm from the a country in the Middle East, basically a national investment company and a national parking company, that they would take the city control of the cities. They would give the city one point one billion dollars in cash upfront in exchange for control of the city's thirty six thousand parking meters for seventy five years. That's till twenty eighty three. Vote on Tuesday. They took the deal. They were desperate. So what became true after the fact, other than it's two things. One is it was financially, it was an unbelievably terrible and stupid deal for the city. This was a pro this was a revenue generating, uh, um, asset that they no longer has, uh, had access to, right? The company raised rates and they've already broken even. They're doing fine. So it was a terrible financial deal, but here's what was more important. Here it gets the issue of control. If the city wants to eliminate parking spots, either, you know, on a weekend for a street fair, or more importantly for, prominently for dedicated bus lanes or bike lanes or pedestrian malls because they want to change their land use or deal with climate and transportation issues, if they want to make a decision to do any of those things, they have to buy the spots back. So, that gives control of this, you know, over really fundamental Jobs of a city council and a mayor, land use, housing, transportation, environment. It get, their, their hands are tied. So it gives the private entities control because they've got they've got provisions in the contract that require them to be made whole. And in fact, there was a and this was a number of years ago, a professor at Roseville University interviewed transit planners of the city and found that they could not implement a plan for bus rapid transit for dedicated bus lanes that they had because they didn't have the money. So that's what I mean by control. So it's a terrible contract. Everyone hates it around the country. Chicagoans all hate it, but the features of that deal are common. But, you know, you put a, you create a contract, all right, who gets to decide what the rates are, who gets to decide, you know, there's a whole set of decisions that that, that the public needs to make in responding to the reality, you know, the, what happens, you know, the, 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 the things that happen, weather, pandemic, whatever. Um, but
0: that contract often gives them some authority and control over those fundamental decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's a good example. So in this case, I mean, that, that's, that shows one of the shortcomings of privatization, right? Because the company increased the parking fees.
1: Out of money, and we could have, and you know, maybe the rates needed to go up. That I don't know, but if the rates needed to go up, the city couldn't used that money for things it needs. And there's plenty of needs in the city of Chicago,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. Uh, so what do you know of any example of where when privatization of a public good actually made the service cheaper? Oh, I'm well, again,
1: I'm sure, you know, because they, yeah, you know, they reduced wages, they gave less health care. I mean, that's my point. I mean, there's, you know, examples in the book and examples we see every day. Sure. They they got signed a contract. Uh, my point is it's not cheaper if you do it right. I say set those. If, you know, if you say the wages and the working and the benefits of the workers and the workloads, you're not going to change a case, you know, their caseload is the same and so they could provide an adequate level of service. If those things stay the same, where are you going to save the money? Right? that's that's the most that's the most typical example of how they're spending money they reduce wages and benefits and that you know that we don't want that to happen in this country we have a cost of living problem and we have an inequality problem
0: yeah so is it fair to say that even if the price of the service goes down, other people are paying for it in some fashion absolutely that's exactly right we,
1: um I mean there will be there are some cases and I won't you know where jobs become yeah. You know, uh workers were getting this was the Toll Roads, I think, in New Jersey a number of years ago. Workers were making twenty-five bucks an hour, private outsourced uh twelve or thirteen bucks an hour. They went on Medicaid. I mean, I don't know them individually you know, we need to survey the workers, but when you get to that level of income, you're getting public benefits. Right. And so and if you have less health care. Right, and if you have people have less healthcare, we ultimately pay in the end because of uncompensated care and all of that. So, absolutely, there's only one place you get the money, and that's us.
0: I think uh, I was looking through the table of contents of your book, and I think you talk about public education as well. And I was hoping if you could elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, so there's I'm um, I'm going to talk about K twelve, uh, yeah, you know, the public education at that level, not higher ed for the moment. Um, so there's two. Thrusts of privatization of public education right now. One is charter school growth, and I'll get back to that. And the other is school vouchers. People think about school vouchers as you know as that's privatization. It's basically handing people a check and they can go to a private school. That's happening in lots of states. I don't remember if uh, what's going on in Ohio right now. I think they started they have a school voucher program, but that's happening a lot right now in, in you know particularly in conservative states. When you send money away you know if, if the, the if let's say your daughter or son is takes their voucher and goes to a private school and they take their you know their daily amount whatever the amount is they get from the state that doesn't just help that's not, that money is actually not just that kid's money because if you take one kid out of the school you don't you know and you take their money with them all the cost doesn't go with them you take one kid out of a class you don't fire a 30th of a teacher right you can't do that so so, privatization vouchers and charters, which I'll get to, re- you know, weakens this, the the rest of the school system f- fiscally in, in various, very important ways, right? Because, again, all the money goes with the kid, but all the cost doesn't. Charter schools is more of a market-based program. It's public. They're public charters. Are, you, you have charters in Ohio. Um, publicly funded. They operated. Most, I mean, in most states, they are technically nonprofits, but uh, they can hire for-profit what are called charter management organizations to run them. There's a, White Hat is a big company that was uh, notorious in Ohio for a number of years. I don't know if it still is. So the thing about charters is the idea of charters is, again, let competition and choice determine, you know, improve the school system. Parents should be able to choose a charter school. But here's the problem with that right? People should be able to choose and everybody everybody wants a, you know, every parent wants a good education for their child. But with charter schools, the, and uh, let me just stop for a second, the original idea of charter schools was create laboratories of innovation and new ideas and then share those ideas so that every student, you know, across the country could benefit from new ways to teach as the, as the world changes. But this has it's become different now. Now it's become a market good where people are, where it, charter schools are competing with Public district schools for the kids and the money, so there's competition. So there's no, they don't want to share. So a few things that happen: one is um, the schools are um, there's it's called creaming and cropping. Charter schools come up with creative ways to screen out the students that'll be more expensive or harder to educate, or counsel out if they're already there. You know, it's not legal, but they do it all over the country. Um, the um, New York New York Times did an expose of a chain in, uh, an investigation of a chain in New York City, and they found on one principal's desk desk in a charter school what he called a "got to go" list. These were the, the tough kids, that they're the hard kids, and the expensive kids that were going to spend back send back to the public schools. So that's the first sort of distortion of competition, because. The, the kids that are harder to educate and more expensive or not as smart or what have you bring test scores down. And when parents are choosing their schools in, in a market system, one of the things you look at is the test scores in a school. So that's so that's the distortions of competition happen. The other thing about, again, in charters partic- in particular is they don't want to share. There are charters our school many. We didn't do a comprehensive survey because there's a lot, but found a number of them where teachers are um, required to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement as a condition of employment that they will not share the school's trade secrets sh- should they leave. What are the school's trade secrets? Lesson plans, curriculum, all the stuff that Exactly what the original purpose was we should be sharing. if you come up with a good idea, everyone should get an access to that because and and particularly because we're paying for it. every dollar we're paying every dollar for it. So the problem with a market-based competition system is it creates those kinds of distortions. It, it weakens the district because it takes money away and it creates those distortions that that you know where you get increasing segregation
0: is stratification. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that about these charter schools. I guess from the perspective of a private owner of some sort of institution, you know, let's say, let's say school, what would be my financial motive to have students who are more expensive to educate? Like there wouldn't be, right? Like if there were, if you, so basically my financial obligations would result in me discriminating against uh, you know, children with disabilities, for instance. Yeah, I mean, practically,
1: subtly, it happens all the time in different ways. Again, it's not legal, but, they, they, you know, it's it's human. So, they come up with all sorts of ways to do that. Now, let me say, there are charter school people who start charter schools that are in it to educate kids. That, you know, they're not, you know, profiteers, right? But you have to look at the, so yeah that are motivated by all the right things. But, again, you're competing in the market right? So it's the incentives that you have, you know, create those distortions. There are good
0: charter schools, there are bad charter schools, There's good district schools, there's bad district schools. It's the system that's the problem. I see. Okay. So then this leads to another question that I had. Like, do you think that the problems of privatization of these public goods result from the nature of privatization itself? Let's talk about the difference between private and
1: public interests, right? And it's and I, don't, I want to talk about large corporations i don't want to talk about a mom and pop restaurant that's you know private they're trying to you know cook good food and all that so you think about big corporations maximus corporation or aramark or you know or united healthcare they businesses really do one thing oil businesses do one thing they sell stuff that's all they do okay and that's okay nothing wrong with that we buy stuff so what do they pay attention to? You know, what do they measure and pay attention to? One is how many they sell, how much it costs them to produce it, and what price they can get for it, uh, what the delta is, you know, what the profit is uh, between costs and, and, and revenue, and what the market share is. Those are the things they pay attention to. Now, so what does that mean? Now, that those are all legitimate business expenses and, and purposes now but it may be that those interests are, are, do not align with the higher interests Prison prison companies sell heads and beds the more heads and beds the more they make and if you look at their I, there's a, a publicly traded corporation's style an annual report with the security and exchange commission called a 10k and in those 10k's there's a section called risk factors that they're reporting to their investors those are the things that could hurt their bottom line. The companies, one, one of the things that could hurt their bottom line is reduced sentencing, legalization of marijuana. I mean, they write it out. They put it on writing and it's because it's objectively true and it's, you know, and and, and um, refreshingly honest, right? Water companies want to sell water, private water companies, you know, by volume. What gets in their way? Conservation programs. So, um, their interests are different, and when you put their interests in, you know, in, in, and you center their interests or embed their interests rather in in the delivery of public goods, that's when problems start. And and, and then I was, I, you know, let's talk about. I want to go back to prison companies. to say I, I call it skin in the game. If you're a private prison comp- corporation, you have fiduciary and legal responsibility to your shareholders. You have to pay attention to anything that might affect your bottom line. Which means any state policy, city policy, county policy on sentencing or that that has any impact on uh, criminal justice, you've got to pay attention. And if you're going to pay attention, you're going to you know you're going to again, it's all legitimate. You're going to protect your interests. That's what people do. So that's the the the, the uh, I, I actually can't remember the act the question started, but it's really important to to understand that those interests are different.
0: Not illegitimate, but different. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I'm wondering if there is a way to, I guess, put some restrictions on privatization such that their interests align with the public interest. So, for instance, let's take the case of for-profit prisons, right? Instead of getting paid for how many prisoners they have, uh, in their facilities, why not change it such that they get paid the lower the recidivism rate?
1: Yeah, and I assume that there are states that are starting to think about that and doing some of those things and putting those in. So it's not that you know, because there are you know real people on both sides of the of the negotiations of the contract. You know, I I don't know you know I have a friend who used to be the head of corrections in uh, Oklahoma for for many years. Really good guy, cared about it, wanted, to, you know, didn't like private prisons, but he, he, you know, he cared about his job a lot. And then ultimately worked at a juvenile detention center in Tulsa. Um, the challenge, but you have to look at the picture. I mean, yes, that, I mean, so let me just say at the, at the conceptual level, you're exactly right. Get it in the contract. Get it, you know, and one of the things we tell elected officials and, you know, public officials is say, your job is to negotiate on our behalf if you're gonna negotiate with somebody, right? which means two, several things. One is you got to be willing to walk away because if you're not going to walk away, you're going to get taken. If you're not willing to walk away, you're taken. That's the, that's negotiations one oh one. Um, But two, you got to make sure you are clear about our interests, about the quality of jobs, about the level of st- service standards, about what it's going to take to, you know, to serve the public. That's, that's the key. Again, you know, going back to what I said earlier, but it's like, a mayor comes in or somebody comes in and say we can outsource and do it cheaper you know you know once they start on that down that path it's you know it's
0: a problem okay so uh it doesn't sound like you're against it in in principle right you like it sounds like that your goal is to to uh, educate people such that they know what to look out for like there are certain dangers that are associated with privatization of public goods right but although theoretically it could be done in a way that serves the public interest, and I mean, I'll use the word
1: contracting because it's more of a okay. more, you know outsourcing and contracting. But absolutely, I mean, there's a we believe there's two trillion dollars. I don't. We don't believe it. It's based on research um, of public of public procurement by governments in America. Now that's everything from bombers to paper clips and every and everything in between. You know, Janet Durrell, That's a lot of money. So we're not saying don't do any of that. We're saying. Make sure you're doing it right, and we get we pay for, we can we get full transparency, and we set standards, and, and set standards, and be, and are able to enforce the standards. It's one thing to set them; it's another thing to make sure that they do it. If you don't have the, you know, it's like you have to have cops on the beat to make sure that you know
0: people do what they say they're going to do. So, do you think that there are any public goods where the private sector should be in charge? I think the government has to be in charge because
1: here's the problem. And again, in charge, not doing all right. Um, I mean, I believe there should be a universal healthcare and, but I don't mean, you know, a, a Medicare for all or a single payer system would be fine. And there's lots of private care in that, in those kinds of systems in other countries. But I mean, there's different ways to do it. Um, so, but here's the thing is, only the government can ensure that everyone gets it. If you want to get a letter, let's say communications, you want to make sure that a, we can mail a letter to every address in America for the same price. You can only do that with government involvement. You can only do it because the market, if you put it all in the market, it's going to cost more. You know, you, you put the, you know, it's an individual cost, right? You put, you know, it would cost more to get something to, to Missoula, Montana than, you know, in Chicago, Illinois. We don't want that right? If you think that everyone should have health care, has to have care, and, you know, and, and independent or irrelevant or, you know, unconnected from how much money you have, you know, your health is something we should require, we should expect of everyone. Um, you can only have that if you, if you set rules and standards and governments, you know, policies um, and spend money. I mean, you know, there's mixes of ways to do it. There's regulation and there's actually direct delivery and there's, um, uh, or, or or there's you know direct funding, all those things happen, but it's the only way to require to get it for everybody, it really is. And you know, and private, I mentioned something because it, we just published an article about this. They're, you know, the IRS could and should and is about to be able to do some of this. Should be able to for for fifty or more percent of the population could pre fill out our tax forms and let us do it for free online. Right, I mean, it's, it, it's it, in the infrastructure bill. Is already it's gonna they're gonna move in that direction, but the private companies. I use TurboTax for my tax, you know, Intuit and HR Block. They're trying to prevent that from happening, right? And, and right, because they don't want the competition. They don't believe it should be a publicly provided, because they want to make money. They want to sell stuff. They want to sell the software. Same thing with public banking. I mean, so there are things that are. Fundamentally private now because they because they have worked against us being able to deliver it publicly when we really could. The IRS has all of our Social Security numbers; they have everything. Why not let them do it? Um, so that so there are things that could be brought brought in and
0: you know to to government to to direct government provision easily. I think I'm getting a better idea of what you think here. So it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning, right? Like the the nature of public goods, like one of them is that it's something that's integral to everybody's life to be able, it's almost like a what Rawls would call a primary good, right? Like it's something that's good, that is in your interest, no matter what else you want to do with your life. Right. So like healthcare Mm -hmm. infrastructure stuff like that. And then the other is that we want other people, everybody to have access to these goods. It's important for us individually as well. Not just want, need. We need them to have it.
1: Yeah. Like, okay. It's, we, we, you know, we want an educated nation. We need every student to have a good education. Yeah. We want a, a a good, healthy economy. We need every everybody to be able to get a good education or go to college or an apprenticeship program or whatever. We need those things for all of us. You know, health is the, and the obvious one that I mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then the danger of private control is that they won't give that service to everybody, right? So uh, even though we want everybody to have it, only the only the government can do that. Right, well, so, I mean, because privates means the market, right? The market means we buy and sell stuff.
1: Companies that sell stuff, which they all do, don't sell things to people without money, <laughs> right? It's sort of obvious, right? You don't market to that. So we need equality in, I mean, if we want everyone to have you know, health, we need everybody to have it. So if you just put it in the market, then people who, and this is the way it is actually, people who have more money are healthier. I, let me give you an example of childcare. I believe childcare in America is a fully privatized public good. Every family needs childcare. I mean, it's just, that's the reality of America and American economy right now. Whether you have, and, and it's in our interest for every kid to have good childcare because it's, you know, it's really part of the educational system. But right now we treat it as a commodity. Um, I mean, I have grandkids now, but, you know, it's a really expensive to get good good quality childcare. So that means some get, some don't get, but we need everyone to have it, which means you got to have, I mean, it, the, the, other, the other question is how you pay for it, right? At that point, if you pay for something as a commodity, it's the individual pays for its cost. If you pay something for, you know, that's a public service, we pay through taxes and everyone gets. And you could have a mix. There's no question. You know, you could do that. But it's really important to remember: there's only one place to get the money, and that's us. Taxes, tolls, fees. There's no other money out there. So, we could move child care to be tax funded, which means we are all paying for all students. Or we can move it, to, or we could keep it as market funding. Is you had kids, you're responsible. Too bad. We're not. We're not we are not responsible for you um for, you know for the fact that you've had children and what that ignores it ignores the fact of our interdependence we are connected regardless of whether we admit it or want it or not which is sort of just another way to say what i say earlier we need everyone to have these things we need everyone to be healthy so i can be healthy in part we're interdependent right if you've
0: got covid and you come to my house i might get covid um, and you know and down the line yeah. No, that that makes sense to me. So in a sense, like they, that when the government does it, it provides a service to everybody because basically the rich subsidize the poor, right? Yeah. So there's a redistribution of, of wealth in that sense. Whereas if you leave it to the private sector or if, if the private sector has control over it, they, they're not going to do that because there's no financial incentive to. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. I've met a number of libertarian uh, philosophers uh, in my life and you know, like sometimes they they make arguments, and I'm not entirely sure how to respond to them. Like I'm sure you've met the more libertarian types who who actually advocate for more privatization, more private control of things, like the privatization of police, for instance, for instance right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think they're missing? Is it they're just empirically wrong? They just don't well, understand? They, no, they no. I think they believe that we are individuals
1: that uh, need, and they they have a definition of freedom. That I should be able to do what I want, uh, that I should be able that I should be responsible for myself, I should pay the consequences of my actions, I should pay for myself. And that will give us maximum freedom. And I think that's the wrong conception of freedom. I mean, so it's it's not that they're missing something. I mean, they're just we just disagree. They think we're individuals. You make it if you make it it's up to you know you're you're the, you're a product of your own effort and success otherwise i mean what they don't say is if you aren't successful or you you don't have health care and you die sooner or you're sicker so be it
0: they don't go that far to actually say that out loud
1: but it's what they're saying
0: what about the examples of um certain things that were expensive In the beginning but because the private sector will figure out a way to make a profit of it you know now almost everybody has access to it you know like maybe like homeless people with smartphones like wouldn't that be a success story of the private market in some
1: ways yes but it's important to understand that the that the science the technology rather behind the smartphone was publicly funded (laughs) right i mean i can't remember exactly but this the screen and the whole thing came out of military spending and all that so even so, innovations, right? I mean, you yeah, know, that's innovation. It's a good thing, right? I'm not, I'm not against competition. I'm not against innovation in the private sector, but you have to remember, all of it's got public and private in it, right? So we are, we the there is a ton of science that is publicly funded that is essentially handed to the private sector to develop other things. Great, the COVID and the you know and the you know the vaccines, right? The vaccines came, you know, Moderna, this at the beginning, a few years back, Moderna got a public grant. Pfizer got a pre-buy agreement. So, it was basically, they, you know, they agreed to buy it. So, publicly funded, number one. Number two is, they, in part, developed, We one of the reasons we developed the sequencing, we you know, identified the virus so quickly, is because the sequencing technology existed and the sequencing technology existed really good because in the '90s the Human Genome Project put a ton of public money that caused the creation, you know, that and and the, the sequencing methods came, you know, technology, um, you know, got really good, right? So there's all this public money in it. So in COVID vaccines, lots of public investment in the in in the in the in the R&D. In, for all pharmaceuticals, that's true. But for that, a lot, not a public investment. But we gave them the patents, right? So they had control over who, you know, over and not, uh, over whether other countries can create generics. We gave them control. Whether it, it was one, it was our A ton of it was our money. Most of it was our money. All of it was our money at the beginning, right? Second, talk about a public good. You know, keeping us healthy in a pandemic, the market—you know—the market completely failed <laughs> the, in that case because the market at the beginning, if you remember, when, when Trump was president, they had states were competing against other states for you know for masking and protective equipment and 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 uh, ventilators and all that. He said, "Let the market take care of it." So they were competing against each state. It was nuts. They ultimately dropped that. That the market completely failed. So. It's a question of what's the deal. We're going to give a patent to a company because they've invested in something and invented something, so give them a time-limited way to make their money back. That was not the case in COVID. We just gave it to them, right? But in most others, but they think of ways to expend, extend their patents and do creative, you know, very creative things to extend their patents to you know, to, yeah, to make it hard for us to. To get the return on
0: our, our our investment and meet our needs, that happens a lot in pharmaceuticals. This might be related to the um, the private control of these certain public goods, but how much do you think the problem is lobbying? Or like, a huge problem. you know, because like I I feel like the, if if there is a problem, a threat to democracy and the threat to the public interest, it would be something like that. Mass, it's a huge problem. I mean, lobbying, campaign
1: countries, you know, politics have, hopefully there are interests, like I said earlier about private prison companies. They have to be involved in any policy change that could happen that could have, you know, that could affect their bottom line.
0: Well,
1: what does that mean to be involved? Massive expenditures on lobbying, campaign contributions to, you know, to to candidates and elected officials. So it's, it's a huge problem. We have to get somehow figure out a way to get their, you know, their, You know, they've got their thumb on the scale. I mean, again, democracies, it's a battle, always a battle between interests and ideas and all that, but they have enormous amount of power that they use by virtue of, you know, for private companies that that mostly do public services, we pay for their power.
0: (laughs) They take our money and they use it against us. So I want to ask, you know, this is like, not really my area of specialization. So I'm just trying to figure out the the basic concepts and how they relate to each other. Would you say that the distinction or one important distinction to make is that you have public and non-market forces on one side and then private and market forces on the other? Like, do they necessarily have to be divided that way? I think there are public things and there are market things. They're different. So you, you know, um,
1: and you, you know, there are things for which the market is just the wrong tool. It would, you know, it's like using a hammer to cook your eggs. It's just the wrong thing. If we want again, if we want everyone to, to have health care, don't do that by putting it all in the market. Okay. So, and and then there are public things, things that we all need. But there's all sorts of in between, right, right. Um, something I don't have an opinion. I don't. I haven't thought through. Like we we pay for our water as a commodity, right? By by usage, right? That's how fundamentally all are. Now that puts folks like in Flint, Michigan, and other places at a real disadvantage because they can't afford to upgrade. They could not, never have afforded to upgrade their systems, right? To, to you know to prevent what happened. So, but should there be some? Should it be a mix? Should it be taxes for a baseline, and then some you know fees to prevent? Overuse, possibly, because yeah. that's a market mechanism, price, right? So there's a difference between putting things in the market and using market mechanisms like price and cost. I see, and I, that, and that. So you're asking
0: the, you're asking pretty big questions. Can't, I can't help it. It's just—it's a philosopher in me. <laughs> it's, oh. its its good. I like. I'm having a good time. I'm—I'm yeah. I'm glad. Um, I know a lot of countries in Europe have, in terms of their uh, healthcare, it's some sort of mixture between private and public. I don't know what the details are, but I—I um, I, I guess if it works for them, it—it's possible that it works for us. Maybe that we have some sort of public healthcare system that does provide the most basic things and then maybe if people want to have some extras that they have to buy private insurance for that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean Canada has a, you know, basically a public healthcare system and you know, I'm heading I'm going to the UK in October and been looking at that. And so uh i think you're, you know send i think denmark's got a different system and you know the question is what the involvement of the insurance companies is so i, I haven't done the research to be able to you know say what you know to describe what, what the different national approaches but the first step is does everybody get some right i mean is it universal and we don't have that that's clear we do not have universal you know we've people have been trying for 70 years to get universal coverage since you know social security passed never happened, still not happened. And it's going to be tough to get there because, you know, people don't want to pay and people don't believe in government and libertarians and kind of all of the things that you've been talking about. Um, but, but I will, but I will say about that, like the national health service in, uh, Britain is highly regarded, even the Tories, the conservatives say we're for the public health system for the national health system, the NHS, but they're not funding it. So it started, you know, there's long wait lists and people are unhappy and nurses are leaving because they're not paid well, there've been strikes. I was just talking to somebody yesterday in the UK. And so there's, you know, will there be a slow, and then what, you know, I think what I was asking was, so I would assume that means people with some means will then go outside the system, start to go outside the national health system, create, you know, and the more people leave the system, the less political and, you know, social support there is for a universal system. And so you begin to we- that's what's going on in education. The more people who leave the system, the less that we have support for a system that meets all meets the needs of all. Because we're, you know, Social Security, we write in the book a chapter on Social Security. Social Security is it's all. We you know, you cannot get rid of social security, you cannot get rid of Medicare in this country. And the reason is because it's everybody equally. Now there's some distortions in how we, you know, how social security is funded, some discontinuities. But you can't get rid of it because it's everybody. It's the same. And that's the way that, and so there's a political component to this. When everybody's in, we fight to make it better.
0: When some are out, we fight to make what we got better. Thank you for that. So in terms of the future then, are you optimistic? Co- governing is a complex, you know, and government institutions in America are complicated. There's a gazillion
1: of them, you know, right? Cities and counties and school boards and you know, and federal agencies and all that. So, yeah, there it's so there are lots of. I mean, it's kind of it's a battleground. There are there are places that are in making the decision to bring back in privatized water that happened, happening regularly in in the United States or per- periodically. Um, same thing with other services. Did did it didn't make sense. They thought they could save money. They didn't. The service went, you know, quality went, you know, de- declined a bit. They brought it back in. That's happening all the time both in both directions. But I think if you look at the Biden administration, what they've done, the massive public investment in infrastructure, including the, the, I'm thinking about the CHIPS Act, you know, investment in manufacturing capacity in the United States, that's public action to protect our economy and to build our country. Will there be private involvement? Absolutely. Chips, the private companies are going to make the chips, but we're going to subsidize it, which means we want, and we have a purpose for that. We want chip manufacturing in the United States for, you know, for a variety of reasons. So I think there's all sorts of positive things happening at the same time now, but you know, it's, it's the wind, the wind blows in different
0: directions, depending on where you are. Yeah. I feel like the issues that you bring up are so technical, you know, and it, it would be difficult, I think, for the vast majority of Americans to have a basic, um, like knowledge and understanding of how this stuff works, you know, cause I would say that, well, you know, we elect our politicians and we want our politicians to, uh, you know, um, you know, fight for the public interest, but the vast majority of people aren't aware of these issues. So it's, it's almost like the, the educational problem is, uh, is going to need to be solved before we can kind of push the politicians to do what is in our interest. Yeah, that's exactly, and
1: and like I said, it's complicated. I mean, you know, the world's a complicated place, right? I mean, you can't expect everyone to become experts in how to build water systems and infrastructure and all that. But, But, you know, one of the things I say often about government in our lives is that it's both invisible and ubiquitous at the same time. The paint on your wall used to have lead in it. I mean, not your wall, but, you know, the paint used to have lead in it. What took it out? Public action, laws, regulations. I live in Los Angeles. The air is definitely cleaner than it was 30, 40 years ago. Public action. Go outside, the, the you know, I drive to the grocery store. Public action. So, it's literally all around us at the same time, but we're all completely unaware of it. I mean, flush the toilet. Where does it, you know, it's a, it's a miracle, actually, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, that's a, that's a great point. I, I mean, I wouldn't be able to live without toilets. I don't want to announce, <laughs> ice, you know, <laughs> turn on the tab, flush the toilet, turn on the lights. It's amazing. Society functions. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a good time to wrap things up. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, do you have any, uh, current or future projects that you want to share with the audience? Oh, well, we've got, um, there's always things going on. So we did,
1: it's, this is a long thing, but we did just publish a, a long report on, on best practices and procurement, you know, contracting, like we talked about here, but that's, you know, it's really in the weeds. Okay. Um, you know, we have a website, www.inthepublicinterest.org. We have an a email list. So we're, we're involved in all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, if you're interested, take a look and get in touch.